Well, I don't know about you, but I have been anticipating and looking forward to this new year. I, I love New Year because it provides an opportunity for a fresh start. I, I don't know about you, but, and I know it doesn't show, but I've gained a few pounds over the past couple of weeks. I've eaten like a crazy person. And that's my confession. I don't want to talk about it anymore. We're going to move forward. We've got a new diet plan. We're going to quit skipping the exercise. We've got to get after it. That's what New Year's does. It kind of gives you this fresh start. Like, okay, that's done. We've got to stop being crazy. Now we've got to you know, get back to real life. And it, it provides an opportunity to reflect. Kind of look back and say, okay, where have we been? What's, what's been going on? As, I, as I've been reflecting the past couple of weeks about our church family, I've been thinking about where we've been in the last two years. Two years ago, we started, we started understanding the story. And we spent an entire year learning that the Bible is one story. Creation, fall, rescue, restoration. It's all about how Jesus came to rescue us. It's not just a collection of books or sayings. It's one single story. And then last year, we we enjoyed the year of peace. And we learned how to take the story and apply it to real life. Because if God has forgiven us and given us grace... We now have this ministry of reconciliation. Now we can forgive others and we can show others the way of reconciliation. So we had the year of peace. And, and as we're looking forward, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about what God has for us in this year of hope. And as we start this new year, we have the opportunity for a fresh start. We can reflect on, on what has been. And then we have the, the chance to really talk about and, and really plan and really make real changes in our lives and and not change for change sake so many times you know folks just they they just want to try something new so let's just change things because because it feels good just to have something new that's that's not what god wants for us god wants us to dare to look at our lives to look at him and then to ask that very powerful question what is best what is best What is best for my life? What is best for my family? What is best for my relationships? What is best? And then daring to do what is necessary. This year, as we begin it, we begin talking about hope. And and what I'm hoping is going to happen is that God's going to do a work in each of our lives. And as God does this work, I want us to be able to share it. Now, I get to get up every Sunday and get to tell you all the ways that God is at work in my life. And I get to, to do a, a, a lot of the talking. Of course, it's my calling. For some of you say, you can have it all you want. I never want to be up there having to do what you do. And I get that, and that's great. But listen, here's what I know. God is going to be at work in your life, even today. I'll be honest with you. I want to hear about it. I want to hear what you would say hope is. And so you may have seen some signs around town that say hope is. You've maybe seen that. Here's what we want to do through social media, Facebook, Twitter. You say, I don't get on those things. Now's a good time to start. It's a new year, right? Fresh start. Reflect and be, begin something new today. And, and, and just join me. Just, just, you know, add me. You could be, you know, Twitter with me. And, and maybe I'm the only one that sees what you think hope is. But we want to hear your stories. Maybe you're going to come across a quote in your quiet time. I talked to a friend yesterday and she was reading out of Hebrews 6.19. He says, oh, you've just got to read this. And, and so she shared that and said, please put that on Twitter. And put hashtag, that's what that is, by the way, hashtag hope is. And share that quote. Maybe it's a story. You know, some of you have these, these devices where you can make a video. You can share the video. Put hope is. But we want to hear these stories. 
And we want to be able to share them. I, I may share them on Twitter. We may put them on our Facebook. We may put them on the screens in here. Something that you put up that says, this is what hope is. This is what is happening. This is how God is at work. Because here's what I know. God is at work. And he's calling us to join him in what he is doing. And when we do that, we are compelled to live hopeful and be helpful. And living hopeful means that we are centering our lives around Jesus. He is our anchor. He is the anchor that holds our life and our hope. And when he is our anchor and he is our center, we can't help but be hopeful. And when we're hopeful and we see who Jesus is and how he's at work in the world, we can't help but join him and be helpful. And and that's what we're going to be doing this year. It's all about living hopeful and being helpful. I believe that this is our new calling. I believe this is the unique calling of Living Hope Baptist Church, is that we are to be a people called by grace to live hopeful and be helpful. And, and we're going to talk about what that means in real life over the, over the next few months. And, and as we begin this series, Living Hopeful and Being Helpful, I want you to be prepared for some things to happen. As we're, as we're walking through this text together, and we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9 for the next four weeks, here's what I want you to anticipate. I want you to anticipate the fact that we're going to be practical in our approach. Here's the thing, guys. If you walk away from this experience this morning, and all you do is say, well, that was nice, I really enjoyed that, and then you don't do anything with the information that was shared, then then this has not been a success. This has not been what God wants. This has not been what is best. Let me tell you what is best is for you right now to be focusing your heart and mind in on the truth of God's Word and, and daring to be practical with what you're about to hear. Now, also, you, we're, we're going to be very personal in the application. Some of the things that you're going to hear today and over the next few weeks, there are going to be things that you're going to need to do. And some of these things are not always going to be comfortable for, for all of you. Some of you, it's going to be right in your sweet spot, and you're going to say, yes, it's about time they started talking about what I'm really good at. Others of you are going to say, oh my, oh my, the year of hope may be a challenge for me. That's okay. God wants to move you, but there's going to be a personal application. And then there's going to be some perspective. We're, we're, going, to, we're, going, to get a, uh, we're going to get a perspective in our outlook. And, and guys, I'm going to be talking about some things that it's going to make you look at life, I believe, in a different way. I know it has me. I know as I've looked at this text over the past six months, and can you believe it? I've been waiting for six months to get into Matthew chapter 9 with you for these next four weeks. I'm telling you, I believe that our perspective is going to radically change. Now, at the end of these four weeks, we're going to bring in Dr. Bob Boyd. And this is a gifted leader. He typically goes on college campuses and leads revivals. And he has seen thousands of people come to Saving Faith, but he does it in a very unique way. It's not through his charisma. It's not through the power of of usually his message. He has been used of God to to usher in revival through prayer. And and this year, you're going to hear me talk more about prayer than than you've ever heard me in, in, in all the years I've served you. I have come to the conclusion more deeply than ever before that prayer is the most powerful, underused gift of God that we have. And when we bring in Dr. Bob Boyd, he's going to talk to us. I want to encourage you to get tickets for the lunch because he's got stories of things that he has seen through prayer that are going to inspire you. I, I talked to him on the phone for about an hour, and I, and I just said, Dr. Boyd, you know, tell me a couple of stories. Tell me what really, you know, you've seen God do. And man, I tell you what, I, I was compelled to stop right there where I was and say, brother, it's been good talking to you, but I need to go pray. 
And I believe God is going to move through this church family. And we are going to begin to truly think about how we can live hopeful and be helpful. And we're going to begin to pray. And we're going to begin to see God do amazing things. And we're going to share, share it and hope is. And we're going to see God do miracles. I believe that with all my heart. I hope you can believe that. I hope that looking at today's text will help you to do that. And our text is in Matthew chapter 9. So if you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and go to Matthew chapter 9. And Miss Maddie Graham's going to come up. She's going to lead us in our reading. We're in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 8. So let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. Hey, sweet girl. Oh, just I let them get situated there. And you've got yours, Matthew 9. Yes, ma'am. All right, Matthew chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Matt. If you would go ahead and be seated. Now, as we come into chapter 9, a little bit of background. Jesus has been on a healing rampage. You go back and look in verses chapter 7 and 8. He has been healing people, and he's been doing miracles on their way to Capernaum as they were coming to his hometown. Uh, they, they took a boat, and of course the storm comes up. And, uh, and Asher actually was reading this in his devotion yesterday. And, uh, and I said, well, buddy, what did Jesus say to the storms? He said, be quiet. He said, that's right. And what did the storm do? It got quiet. He said, that's right, because that's God has power. Jesus is God, and he has power. So Jesus has been doing miracles, and, and he's been healing people. Now he's come to his hometown. And, and in this encounter at this home in Capernaum, Jesus reveals several things. First of all, he reveals, notice, his divinity. Look in verse 3. It says, And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. Now, why did they say that? Why did they say that Jesus was blaspheming? Well, here's why. It's because he was claiming to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. So enough with this nonsense that Jesus was a good teacher. Enough with this nonsense that that, that he is simply a model for, for how we are to live. Jesus said he was God. So either bow down and worship him and repent of your sins and be saved and follow him. Or determine that he was nuts or just really, really confused and maybe sick. But, but enough with this patronizing of him being a good teacher. He claimed to be God. And he revealed his divinity here. And people got upset about it. He also reveals his authority. Look in verse 6. But that you may, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus is revealing his authority here as God to redeem. Only God can forgive sins. Only God can cleanse a soul. Only God can, can make a person right with himself. A human being cannot do that. We can't undo what we've done. We can pay the penalty for our sin, which is an eternal payment, which is hell. And we can choose to do that. But God in His grace has determined that he, he would love us and He would save us and He would restore us. He would forgive us and He would make us right with God. And this is the power of Jesus. 
Jesus has the authority to do this because He is God. And He reveals here His grace. Look in verse 3. Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. This man had done nothing to earn forgiveness. And there is nothing any person can do to earn forgiveness. Forgiveness is grace. It is getting what we don't deserve. This man didn't deserve this. There's nothing he could do to merit this. In his mercy, Jesus looked down on him and gave him grace. Now, Jesus is doing all of this, don't forget, in his hometown. He was amongst people who probably seen him as a, as a young person. These are people who would say, hey, isn't that Mary's boy? Isn't that the son of Joseph? Isn't that that, that kid that everyone used to love? Isn't that that kid that was, that was always doing kind things? Yes, there were some, some distinctives in his life. We don't know because the Scripture didn't record it. But Jesus is back in his hometown. And he's amongst people who really know him. And friends, here's, here's what I want to really challenge Living Hope with. We are so effective in going to the ends of the earth to take the gospel. And we're seeing miracles in, in continents all over the place. Friends, we've got, to, we've got to focus not only there, but here. And here's harder. You know why? Because you can go overseas, and in a week's time, you can talk to lots of people, and then you can leave. And maybe go back once a year, maybe twice a year if you're really blessed. But here, when you're in your hometown, it's day in, day out. It's them seeing your real life. It's you standing over and over again and living hopeful and being helpful. Jesus has come to his hometown. And he has said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do something significant. And people... People had questions as to, as to who he was and what he was about. And that's what they will do with us. Really? Really? You want me to go to church? Really? You want to talk to me about salvation? Really? You want to talk about uh, spiritual things with me? And we must say, yes. Yes, we do. Yes, I do. I want to have this conversation. This miracle, this miracle happens because of the faith of these friends of this, this man. They, they had hope in Jesus. And so they became very helpful. They went beyond good intentions, and they put a plan into practice. You probably know this old saying, those who fail to plan, plan to fail. You've heard that, maybe? It's true. Those who, who, who fail to plan, they plan to fail. There's nothing that is going to happen when you just talk. You know, I have a lot of young people come and talk with me about God's will for their life. Young adults will come in and they'll say, Pastor, how can I know what, what God wants me to do? And I'll begin to ask them questions. Well, what do you feel compelled to do? What do you feel gifted to do? And I have discovered there's a difference between, between uh, certain students, certain young adults, certain adults, period. There are those who have hope and those who have wishes. Those who have hope are compelled to do something. Those who have wishes are compelled to feel things but rarely do anything about it. Let me tell you what I see happening, not just at Living Hope, not just here. I'm saying just when I look generally across the church in North America, here's what I, here's what I see. I see a lot of wishing. I wish the world was different. I wish more people were kind and loving. I wish more people uh, would, would follow Jesus. You know what I don't see? A lot of hope. See, hope leads to an action. You know what I don't hear a lot about? About what hope is. I don't hear a lot of people talking about how they see, they're seeing their neighbors come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
I don't hear a lot of people talking about their workplace being transformed by the living power of the living God. I don't hear a lot of students talking about their lost friends coming to save in faith in Jesus Christ. Friends, understand, God has called us to live hopeful. And in living hopeful, we will be helpful to make a difference. We've got to do more than just feel bad for people. We've got to do more than just, just wish that things were different. We've got to do something about it. And that happens when you have hope. If all you want to do is whine and complain about the way things are, have at it. But please don't do hope is, now let me whine and complain about how things are. If you want to whine and complain, have a pity party. No one will come, but have it anyway. But if you want to make a difference, then you're going to need hope. And if you get hope, you'll make a difference. To make a difference, you're going to need a plan. So what I want to see in this text, we're going to focus real intently right now on verse 2. And we're going to look at, at what happens when you plan to be helpful by being hopeful. Take note of these things first. Plan to be helpful by being hopeful enough to bring people before Jesus. Look what happened in verse 2. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic. The one hope for every person and the hope that, that will meet every need in the world, I believe and I know for a fact, is Jesus. Let me tell you what Jesus can do. Jesus can heal what is broken. You say, I've I got a broken relationship, I've got a broken marriage, I've got a broken family, I've got a broken life. Jesus can heal it. Jesus can give life to what is dead. You say, you know, my marriage is dead. You know, my career is dead. My, my future, it, it, it seems like everything's just cut off. Jesus can bring life. Some of you say, my soul is dead. Yes, yes. We are all born dead to God. But Jesus can bring life. That is His power. Jesus can cleanse what is dirty. You say, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. Jesus can cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And Jesus can fill what is empty. Jesus can take what is empty and He can overwhelm it with His presence and His power so that it is gushing over. Now, these guys, they knew they needed to get their friend to Jesus. And friends, we all have people in our lives that we need to bring to Jesus. We can bring to people to Jesus in a number of ways. I just want to list a couple of them for you real quick. First of all, by prayer. By just praying for them. Just asking God to intervene in life. To bring someone to the throne of grace. Bring their name to the throne of grace. Every Sunday this altar should be full at the end with people coming saying, Lord God, save this one. Save this marriage. Heal this life. Do a miracle here. You're bringing them to Jesus. You're bringing them to the throne of grace. And then having conversations. Bringing their attention to the reality of Jesus. Introducing them to Jesus. Not just through your life as you're living hopeful, but by being helpful and talking about how they can anchor their life in hope in Jesus. And, and then by inviting them. Inviting them to believe. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, hey, would you right now like to ask Jesus to be your, your life and hope? Would you like to ask Him to forgive you and take over your life? I can remember when I was in college, I was having a conversation with a, a young man. And we'd been talking about Jesus, and we'd been talking about Jesus. And, and finally, I just looked at him and I said, Dan, bottom line, do you want Jesus or not? Do you want to accept Him as Lord and Savior? Do you want to pray right now and begin a whole new life? And he said, Pettis, I'll be honest with you. 
You've been talking so much. I stopped listening. I prayed that prayer a long time ago. I'm ready to be saved. When do I need to be baptized? You know what I think happens a lot of times? We, we talk so much, and we, 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 we just keep kind of talking, and we keep just kind of going over the same information. There comes a point when we need to stop talking and start asking. Do you want this? Would you like to have this? Can I show you how? Admit, believe, confess. And then sharing with them community, bringing them to the body of Jesus, to the church, and allowing them to experience the fullness of, of what it is to be loved and to be cared for. Think for a moment. Who is one person, one person, where you live? Think about where you live right now. Who is one person that you know that needs Jesus? Can you think of one person? What about where you work and learn? Some of you work, some of you are in school. In your workplace, can you think of one person that you know that needs Jesus? Students, what about at class? What about, what about in, in your learning environments? Can you think of one person who needs Jesus? What about where you play? What about where you go for entertainment? Where, what, maybe where you're, you're active somewhere in something. Can you think of one person that you know of who needs Jesus? Can you picture that person right now? Can you name their name? Are you willing to pray for them? Are you willing to have a conversation with them about Jesus? Are you willing to invite them to believe? Are you willing to bring them to church? It may change eternity for them. What a joy. These brothers who brought this paralytic, they had a plan. And I want you to write this down. I want you to see this. Plan to be helpful by being hopeful enough to think and act strategically. It says in verse 2, that second part, verse part B, I would say, that he was lying on a bed. This brother was in bed. He was sick. They had to think through, how are we going to get this dude on a bed to Jesus? He can't walk. He can't get there himself. We've got to get him there. We've got to take him on this bed. But not only that, if you go back and you read the other synoptic gospels, you see the other places where this story is told, you know that the house is full. The house is crowded. It's not going to be easy to get there. They weren't just going to be able to say, hey, if we get around to it, we ought to take Joe and, and get him to Jesus. And hey, if you got any time, maybe we'll try that sometime. Maybe. Let's see. I don't know. Who wants to pray? Let's go and pretend that the world's okay and act like and wish everything was better. It's not what these guys did. These friends said, we got to get this guy to Jesus. He's in a bed. The house is full. We've got to have a plan. Listen. The people, the person that you were just thinking about, I hope that you were able to think of one person that needs Jesus. There's obstacles getting in the way of them knowing Jesus. There are going to be challenges. And you're going to have to have a plan for how you're going to introduce them to Jesus. It's not enough to show up. You've got to think this thing through. You've got to be ready to, to, to act and to, and to do and to think strategically. So let me ask you, if you're willing to pray for them, when are you going to pray for them? Where are you going to pray for them? How are you going to pray for them? Let me pause right there. When are you going to pray for that person? Where are you going to be when you pray for them? And how are you going to pray? What needs to happen? What needs to be different for them to hear the gospel? You say you're going to have a, a conversation with this person about Jesus? When? When? 
When are you going to have the conversation? Some of you have been thinking, oh, I need to talk to that person about Jesus. For some of you, it's been a decade you've been saying that. When are you going to have the conversation? Where is the conversation going to happen? How are you going to have the conversation? How are you going to start it? How are you going to begin talking about Jesus? How are you going to invite them? When are you going to invite them? Where are you going to be when you ask them? Listen, I've led people to Christ at Panera Bread. I've led people to Christ on ball fields, on airplanes. You know, Jesus can work anywhere. The problem is not Jesus. The problem is the laborers. And it comes to a point, we've got to ask, but we've got to be strategic about it. We have to think about it. Then we have to act on the plan. And then, and then bringing them to church. When are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? Could you get other people maybe that could help you make them feel welcome? Let me tell you something that happened to me when I was a teenager, as a junior in high school. Our youth pastor challenged our youth group. And he said, guys, I want you to think of people that you know that if they were to get saved, if they were to come to, to believe and be followers of Jesus, everyone in your school would say, now that was a miracle of God. One of the names that was brought up was a guy who almost beat me up when I was a freshman. It's two years removed, but I'm still scared to death of Carl's sword. Because Carl has a, a neck the size of my thighs, right? He's huge. And fortunately for him and for me, he had recently gone out for football. And so what did we do? It's the coolest thing. We started meeting youth group, kids. We started meeting on Thursday morning at a house near our high school and started praying for these people to be saved. Some began to pray specifically for Carl, many of us began to have conversations with him. I had to begin to think strategic. So whenever there was an away game and we were on a bus, I made sure I sat with Carl. There were even times when, when I had someone take me to school and I would ask Carl, Carl, could you take me home? Just so the whole drive home, I could have a conversation with him. Some, some point, I can't remember who it was, I think it was a young lady, dared to say, Carl, would you like to invite Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord? And you know what? That brother said, yes. And he came to saving faith. And he became a part of our church family. Now, about six or seven years later, we had all finished college. We'd all kind of gone in different directions. And Carl was killed in a car accident. And you know what was one of the sweetest things ever? Is when we all came back for that funeral, we knew where he was. Why? Because we dared to pray. Because we dared to have the conversation. Because we dared to invite and we dared to involve them into the, him into the community of believers. We had a plan. It wasn't a wish. It was a hope. And that hope turned into an action. And God was at work. Here's what I believe about every one of us sitting here today. I believe there's a Carl sword in every person's life this morning. I believe God is calling each of us to plan to be helpful by being hopeful enough to think and act strategically. Some of this will take faith. For some of you, you're going to have to believe. And some of you, you're going to struggle with this. To genuinely believe that God can do this. To believe that God wants to do this. To believe that God's will is to do this. Write this one down. Plan to be helpful by being hopeful enough to believe what God can do. Look at what it says in, in verse part C of verse 2. <laughs> and don't miss this, all right? I'm going to pause, and I want you to say out loud what the Scripture says, all right? Go to, go to the verse 2 there, and, and I want you to see this. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, whose faith? His faith? Whose faith was it? Their faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sons are forgiven. Notice it was a group. It was a small group. It was people who obviously had been gathering in homes, talking about Jesus, growing their hope together, nurturing their relationship with Jesus, discipling one another in the teaching of Jesus. And then they got audacious with their faith. And they decided it was time to advance the kingdom. And they together strategically planned how they could bring light to this dark life. This is God's will for every believer. This year you need to get in a small group. And I don't mean show up and have a social hour. I don't mean show up and just kind of hang out with friends. I mean get together with people and talk about what Jesus is doing in your life. And then talk about how you're going to lead more people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. Now to do this we have to believe some things. We have to believe that, that, that Jesus, that Jesus has a power to believe that Jesus saves sinners through the willing proclamation of the gospel of gospel-centered people. That this is how he does it, guys. He saves people through our proclamation. Second, that, that Jesus saves sinners through faithful prayer of gospel-centered people. People who say, my life is centered on Jesus. I'm praying to Jesus. Jesus saves sinners through the audacious faith of gospel-centered people. People who say, you know what, we're going to do this. Friends, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that, that Jesus is going to be at work. These friends believed. So write it down. Living hopeful and being helpful is about leading people to anchor their life and hope in Jesus. And doing that requires intentionality on our part. Imagine. Imagine what would have happened if those friends had not been hopeful and helpful. First of all, that man would have lived a broken life. That man possibly would have died because of the ailment. Worse than that, he would have died a sinner's death. See, Sooner or later, everyone that we know is going to meet Jesus. And for those who are found in their sin, and in their death, they stand before God, they're judged with an eternal verdict. Some will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, come into your great reward. Some, some even you sitting here right now, Here's what you're going to hear. Here's what many of the people you know right now, if they die, they would hear today. Depart from me, you evildoer. I don't know you. And if these guys, if they hadn't believed, and if they hadn't been strategic, and if they hadn't been willing, they would have missed seeing a miracle. They would have missed seeing a miracle of this man not only saved, but up walking with a whole new life. It makes me wonder, how many miracles are we missing at Living Hope today? 
How many marriages are broken? Lives are broken. Young people lost, confused, angry, addicted. Why? Here we have the good news of the gospel. But are we praying for them? Are we having conversations with them? Are we inviting them to believe? Are we bringing them to this church family and introducing them to other friends? To our small group of people who are together praying with us and loving with us and being hopeful with us? Friends, it's the year of hope. Will you pray? Will you share? Will you believe? And will you trust God for miracles? This morning I want to invite you to come and get on your knees and trust God for a miracle. The miracle of the one you were thinking of. The miracle that needs to happen in your life. The miracle of what God is, of who He is, and what God can do. Would you trust Him for that? Let's stand together. Let's pray together. Lord God, today there are so many in our city who are lost. They need grace. They need life. They need healing. They need hope. And here many of us are. And we've got it. Lord God, convict us to live hopeful and be helpful. To lead more people to anchor their life in hope in Jesus. Hear the names of those who come now on bended knee to pray for the one that they know where they live or work or learn and play. God, hear the prayer of the sinner who comes today and says, Lord, forgive me. Take over my life. I believe that you saved. I know that you died for my sin. Forgive me. Take over my life. And then, God, for those who need to see a miracle, a miracle in someone's life, to to see that marriage healed, to see that friendship restored, to see that body made whole, God, hear and, and, and God, do a miracle. We need you today. Hear your people as they come. In Jesus' name, amen.